chapter 13. Hebrews 13, uh, in God's sovereignty, this is our text this morning. And what it'll do at the end of today, it'll, it'll get our eyes on a city that will never burn, that will never be shaken, that'll never move. And being a part of that city gives us stability in the city we live in today. So that's, what, that's, what we'll, that will, that's where we'll be going this morning, okay? Now, last week, our writer, in verses 1 through 8 is very clear. I mean, he just like gives these bullet points of things to do, uh, instructing us to love and to be hospitable and to be socially just with, with those that are in prison and to honor marriage and to not love money and to imitate the faith of your leaders. And God has given us probably ample opportunity to practice these things this last week. Hopefully you open up your house to people that were... Um, you know, had evacuate. I know a lot of people did that and people were just sleeping on everyone's like floor and stuff and going over, over everyone's house, being hospitable. God's given us wonderful opportunity to do this this week. Now, then there's this rather obscure little section that follows here in verses nine through 14. So let's read it together. Verse nine, Hebrews 13, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which do not benefit those devoted to, have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Let's pray. Lord, we are seeking a kingdom to come. And a lot of us, to be honest, don't have any idea what that means. We still love this world. We still cling to this world. We still have our hope in this world. And I pray that our hearts this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit by your word, would detach our hearts from this world and set it on the kingdom to come. But then, Lord, it would teach us how to live in the kingdom that we live in today. It would teach us how to live in Ventura. It would teach us how to live in Santa Barbara. It would teach us how to live in Carp. Wherever we live, we would live for the glory of the kingdom to come now. We wouldn't escape. We wouldn't try to to stay away from everything unclean and unholy, that sort of thing. We would remain pure, but... We want to engage, Lord. We want to live in this world, not being of this world. Help us, Lord. We need your help. I submit my mouth to you and my thoughts, and we come underneath the authority and the power of your word, Jesus. And we say, Lord, speak to us today. Shepherd us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, now this is kind of an obscure section of scripture. So I want us to all like capture the flow. I, I, I have to do this whenever I'm studying a, a section of scripture. I'll have to sit back and look at the text and go, what is going on? And how does every other verse connect to every other verse? Do you guys do this as well at home? You should. It, it helps a lot. So let's, it's, let's scoot back for a second and go, what's the flow of this whole section? So here's the flow. It's on the screen. First is don't or, or it starts off with strange teachings about foods. Okay, there's some strange teachings about foods. It says here, don't believe strange doctrines about these foods. And then the author goes, 
foods don't strengthen the heart. We're not supposed to trust in these doctrines about foods because foods don't strengthen the heart. Grace strengthens the heart. And then he makes, I don't know if it's on the screen, but next, um, I, I put two arrows here because this makes a big jump here, okay? He goes, foods don't strengthen the heart. Then he jumps all the way to the day of atonement, okay? I don't know how he does this, but he's brilliant, okay? So he goes, foods don't strengthen the heart. Grace does. On the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, no one was allowed to eat the sin offering. So he's like, hey, foods don't strengthen your heart. Actually, right there is where the whole argument breaks down about food strengthening your heart. Because under Jewish law, you weren't even allowed to eat the offering that spoke of your sins being taken away or covered. So the whole argument breaks down. Author here again. Brilliant. Okay? So he goes, okay, listen. Don't trust in foods. Foods can't strengthen your heart. Actually, under Old Testament law, you weren't even allowed to eat of that offering. It was taken outside the camp. That's how he does it. Offering was totally consumed outside the camp. Then he connects it right back to Jesus. Just like Jesus. He was crucified where? Outside Jerusalem. Outside the walls of Jerusalem. Where, were, where was their heart as Hebrew Christians? In Jerusalem. See what he did there? Isn't that just brilliant? He's like, hey, whatever you're believing about food, stop. Because what you believe about food is actually in your, in your own laws. You can't even eat of the offering that speaks of your sins being covered. Because the offering was consumed outside the gate. Just like Jesus. Then he goes like this. So let us go with him outside the camp. So now he brings that doctrine application back to their lives. Now you and me, let's go outside the camp. Why? Our motivation. Because we seek a city to come. Does that make sense? Okay. The flow. Strange teaches about food. Food don't drain the heart. Grace does. On the day of atonement, no one was allowed to eat. There's a connection. The sin offering. Offering was totally consumed outside the camp. Just like Jesus, let us go outside the camp. We seek a city to come. Cool? All right, we're done. Let's pray. No. Um, So the way that we're looking at this, three ways, is doctrine, action, motivation. Okay? Doctrine first, how they believed. Action, what they were to do about it. And then motivation, why were they to do it? Why? So that's how we're breaking it down. Doctrine, action, motivation. First point, doctrine. Now, I don't want to assume anything this morning. I'm going to assume that you don't know what that word doctrine means or theology means, okay? I know that you're going, well, don't assume that. Well, I'm just going to do that anyway, just in case someone in here is kind of vague on when I use the word doctrine, what it means. So it's on the screen. Doctrines are teachings about God, the Bible, and life. Doctrines that the Bible teaches. Theology is what we believe to be true about God, the Bible, and living. Consequently, because we believe this about God This to be true about God and the Bible, we live accordingly. Now, these two words can be used interchangeably. Okay, they were, it's the teachings about God, what we believe, and consequently how we live. Therefore, doctrine and theology are crucial in the life of a believer. They're actually, I would go as far as to say is everyone, Christian or not, is a theologian. Okay, everyone has a belief about God. You ask him, what do you believe about God? I don't believe he exists. That's a belief. You're a theologian. You're saying something about God. So everyone in here has a belief system. Everyone in here has doctrine. If you don't even consider yourself a theologian or even know what that word means, you are one. Because you believe something about God. And because you believe something about God, consequently, you live a certain way. Now, doctrine and theology are crucial. Because here, you can have bad doctrine. This is what this author is telling them. You can have bad doctrine and theology about something as basic to your life as food. 
or culture or where you live. And that can, it can sidetrack your walk with God. You could go to in and out with the wrong theology and be totally messed up. That's what he's saying. You can go into Carl's Jr. with the wrong theology and doctrine and then it could sidetrack you. So what you believe about food and drink and your life and your family and raising kids and where you live and all these things are very important because it all comes back to belief. What do you believe? Hebrews verse 9, it says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Now, these Hebrew Christians, remember the context, we've been studying this for a very long time. They needed strength to keep going. I don't think every Christian recipient of this sermon letter was wanting to leave Christ. There were some of them that wanted to leave Christ. They were tempted, and those temptations were confronted by the author through various warnings, like the one we had two weeks ago. Don't be an Esau. Don't sell your birthright for a a measly bowl of soup. Remember that? I don't know why I always get the teachings about food, but I do. Like I said, it's talked about food. Give it to Lomas. He'll, he'll know what to do about food. Okay, so Esau, they were tempted to leave Christ and like, don't be an Esau. Don't sell out for a bowl of soup. This one is something a little bit different here. This one is, they were believing something about food that gave, that gave them strength. I don't think they were tempted to leave Christ. I think here in this context, somehow they were, they wanted strength to keep following Christ. And they turned, this, the text seems to indicate that they were turning to some weird, strange doctrine about foods that strengthen your heart. Now, I'm not talking about your physical heart. I'm not talking about a bowl of Cheerios, you know, in the morning or like oatmeal every morning or something. I'm not talking about that. Heart here is figurative. It's like a couple weeks ago when we said, uh, strengthen your weak hands and feeble knees. Hope no one went out and got like a knee brace to apply that teaching. That's not what the teaching was about, right? It was figurative, all right? So this here is, your heart is figurative. It speaks and represents your inner person, as Ephesians 3.16 talks about. Your inner man, your inner woman, your inner person. This means your spiritual strength. You can't get spiritual strength through foods, now, food. No one knows, no commentator or scholar that I read, and I read a, a, a lot of books, no one knew exactly what this food was, all right? They didn't know if it was, they didn't know what, what kind of food it was. Exactly what this doctrine or teaching was about food, no one really knows. But this is what we do know about this. Evidently, people in this church were tur- turning to food for spiritual strength. They were There was some strange teaching going around that said, eat this food or eat this food this way and you will be spiritually strong. Eat food like this or eat food at this time of the day or eat this food and you'll be spiritually strong. Remember, they didn't really want to leave Christ here. They they wanted to keep following him. They wanted strength to do the right thing, strength to keep going under horrible pressure to do otherwise. And for this strength, they started believing something weird about food. And it wasn't the food itself, and what they it was what they believed about this food. Now, you guys, we've been talking about Hebrews for a very long time. Um, Hebrews, the context is they were under these Hebrew Christians were under immense pressure. Uh, and, uh, and crazy persecution from the government, from family. And they even had this like internal demonic oppression to fear death and to give up. And what they needed was hope. And where they tried to find it was in food. 
they wanted to keep going and they wanted to do this under all this pressure and they just needed some way to cope with life. They needed a coping mechanism. How do I deal with life? How do I keep going with my family following Jesus? How do I cope with life's difficulties? How do I deal with this pressure? How do I remain strong in this situation? Have you ever felt that way personally? Do you, some of you guys are there right now. Like, oh my gosh, you don't understand the pressure that's around me right now. I don't know how to cope with it. And I need somewhere, somehow to cope with this. Now, there are many in this sanctuary that love Jesus. And I admire your faith. And it's so rad to see you worshiping and loving Jesus. You love his word. You love to worship. You love to serve and to pour out your life. But it's Mother's Day. And there's probably a lot of really deep pain in this room. You might have lost a kid, estranged from one of your, estranged from one of your kids, or you can't simply have kids. Or your marriage might be shaken to the core. I mean, just absolutely rocked. Your spouse might not even be saved, and you endure certain levels of ridicule at home for going to church and following Jesus. Your house might, is probably threatened by, might be threatened by another fire, as several of you guys raised your hand. You're getting, you might be getting older, and you have still no idea who you're going to marry. You can't find a job. The pressure at school and work is getting to you. You might be going through the most difficult thing you've ever had to face. Here's the deal. You love Jesus and you want to follow him. You don't want to walk away from Jesus, but how do you deal and how do you cope when you leave church? Because when the songs are being played and the word is being taught and everyone's hands are in the air and you're on the carpet, you feel peace. You know why you're here. Then you leave here. And you're confronted with Monday night or you're confronted with loneliness where do you go to cope? Some people go to comfort food. That was kind of, I was going to tell the message comfort food, but I, I thought that would be kind of weird. But they were going to some kind of comfort food. And they were here in this text. There was something that, that they were eating to bring them, they thought, strength, spiritual strength to keep going. And some people do. They turn to some sort of food, or maybe it's a drink. Maybe it's a, for you, it's a bottle of wine or a six pack. Like, that's how I cope with life. Life is tough. You don't understand my life, Dave. My life's tough. This is how I cope with it. Might be music. The way you escape is you put on your favorite whatever and you listen to it and you escape. You might cope through retail therapy. (laughs) And that's a real thing. I read an article that said that retail therapy is a lot cheaper than a real therapist. (laughs) That's not gospel. That was just what I read, okay? Now, and, and that's a true thing. Some people do that. I know people that do that. Like, how I cope with life, I go out and I just buy something. And I feel I have control until the bill comes in. But up until that point, I'm in control. Or your computer. Or sex and relationships. Physical touch, you turn to that. Or drugs. Or maybe a combination of like four of those things. And that's how you cope with life. I mean, if I was to ask you when we're sitting down, you're like, ah, you don't understand, I love Jesus. But come Tuesday night, you don't understand the level that I, and this is exactly where these, some of these Hebrews were. They lo- they, a lot of them didn't want to turn from Jesus, but they started believing something about food that turned their heart from having its centrality in Christ to, I believe that this food will give me strength. 
I believe that eating this food this way will give me strength. I believe that eating, doing this at this time or this way will give me spiritual strength. And they believe that. And what the writer does here is he draws their coping mechanism back to doctrine and theology. He's like, okay, guys, come here. Let's draw what you're, what you're leaning on to cope, this food or whatever you're believing, and let's draw it back here to doctrine and theology. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about his grace? And this is how he does it. Verse 9. Do not be led. Some of your translations say carried. Don't be carried away by diverse teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened. Some of your translations say established by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Isn't that funny? They were devoted to food. If you connect those two things in that verse. They were somehow devoted to this doctrine about food. And what the writer does here is he says that the antithesis of a heart rooted and established in grace in Jesus Christ alone is a life led away or carried away by strange teachings. You will either be established in the grace of Jesus Christ or you'll be carried away. It's like a little butterfly. Just you're carried away by some weird teaching. It happens a lot. You might have been there sometime in your life. You might be there now. You might have known someone that they start believing something really weird. They tell it to you, and you're like, that's weird. That's a weird teaching. That's a strange teaching. And they're carried away by it. They're raptured by it. Oh, I love this teaching. And I start following this. I'm doing this thing. How how are you coping with life? Just this low carb. Salvation through low carb. And that's how I'm doing it. Man, I'm spiritually so, I just, I'm alert. I'm praying more. I'm more alive. People do that. And you think it's weird, but if you stop and think, we somehow, we do that in life. We like turn to weird things. We're weird creatures. I am anyway. And I do this too. And I have to continually go on. What am I? Am I looking to that or am I looking to Jesus? And why God desires that we be established by the grace that's found only in Jesus Christ is because food spoil and appetites change. But he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never, never leave you, and he will never, never forsake you. Now, that was the verse right before. That's verse 8. Now, you have to understand, this was not written in chapter and verse. So that verse should connect with today's teaching. But I wasn't assigned that verse. But I'll dip in there for a little bit and go, see this verse? It connects, okay? He's the same. He doesn't change. Let's get back to our text. Now, if your heart, your soul, your inner person is not being strengthened by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. However you're coping or dealing with life, let me tell you this, it's not working. It is not, you might think it's working, it's not working. Whatever, however you're dealing with life, apart from Jesus Christ and him alone, it's not working. It's not benefiting you. It's either making things worse in your life, Or it's numbing your mind so much that you think things are okay, but they're not really dealt with. So the author confronts their false doctrine. The author says, I'm going to confront your false doctrine, your coping mechanism, with right theology. So theology here is crucial. It sets false securities right. It pulls down idols and corrects belief. You need to know right theology. You have to believe rightly about Jesus Christ. John MacArthur quote that's on the screen says this every bad practice every bad act every bad standard of conduct can be traced back to bad belief if you're doing something that's just ill 
It can be traced back to what you believe about God, his word, and how he's calling you to live. It can be traced back to that. You have to have strong doctrine. Now, the author here does it in a very Hebraic way, all right? He, he does this in a way that, well, let's just read it. Look at verse 10. He draws their minds back to Jesus, but this is how he does it. We have an altar from which those who serve at the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now, I don't think many of you guys are going to put that in the refrigerator this week. Like, I need strength. I, this verse just brings me strength. Just being burned outside the camp and, you know, that sort of thing and the high priest. And, I mean, it doesn't really resonate with us. But it resonated with them. And you have to understand that. That they knew what this was talking about. It seems here to indicate in the verse that this belief about foods was, and they, how they were eating these foods were some way tied and connected to their old Jewish life. Now you have to understand, think about this. These Christians were turning to physical meals for strength. And this is what they've done for a very long time. God gave them meal sacrifices and offerings. They were to have celebratory feasts. And all of this brought strength to the heart. There was actually a psalm that says that, that they would eat and it would strengthen their heart. So they knew that when they turned to these foods, it would, it would somehow strengthen them spiritually. But now the author says, no, we have Christ now. We have Jesus. How many of you guys find that your coping mechanism and the way you deal with life's difficulties is simply something that you've just always done. Like you have like this default mode and you kind of go back there. And any of you guys feel that way to where when things are getting really gnarly, you have this default mode that you, it's like switch flips and you just become and you act like this. Maybe even you act like this before you're even a Christian. And this is you know what they were doing. Under Jewish laws and customs, they would turn to physical meals and drinks and physical places and locations to worship God and be strengthened by God. This was God ordained. What the writer is saying to them is this, and this is what he's saying to us. We don't go to physical things for spiritual strength. That's not how we deal with life. We don't go to physical things for spiritual strength. Guys, we might not have a building in two months here. We don't go to physical places and physical things for spiritual strength. We go to Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who will never leave you or never forsake you. Understand this. You don't go to physical things. You, do you think that spiritual nourishment comes from a Big Mac or a bottle of Pinot or like three Vicodin? Some people do. May it never be. Now, sometimes these things aren't bad in themselves. Doctor might prescribe Vicodin. You might enjoy a glass of wine with your meal. You might love a really good Big Mac. <laughs> Are those things bad in themselves? No. But this is the subtlety of it. When we turn to those things to deal with life spiritually or emotionally... What we're saying is, you are my God. You are my Savior. I need you to save me. You might have those things in your life, but do you turn to them as your functional Savior? If you created a personal hell, would it be life without this thing? 
Well, then that thing is your savior. That thing is your personal savior. That thing is what saves you from your personal hell. And so we don't turn to these things. Did you know that the pagan neighbors of the early church thought that Christians had no God? They actually called them atheists. And their Jewish neighbors would also criticize them because they had no visible means of spiritual support. They looked at him like, hey, where's your temple? Where's your sacrifices? Where's your idols? Where's your priests at, Christians? You guys aren't even, who, what God do you worship? We can't see him. Where do you go to worship him? You guys go to houses? That's weird. What, where's your sacrifices and your, the way you're dressed? Where's this, all this stuff at? And they had nothing outwardly religious. But the writer says, we have an altar from which those who serve at the tent have no right to eat. Where's your sacrifice? Paul would write, we are a living sacrifice. Where's, Paul would say, we're a living epistle. Where's your temple? Scripture would say that we're the temple of the living God. Where's your priests? We're a kingdom of priests. And Jesus is our great high priest. And they look at us and they're like, you guys are weird. You guys don't turn to anything. Like, but we, we, sometimes we do that even as Christians. We try to turn to things. It should never be. We should just turn to Jesus Christ. And to them, they were turning to some weird doctrine about foods. And to us, we might be turning to things. And when your neighbors go, how do you cope with life's difficulties? They have to see that you turn to Jesus. They have to look at you like, where's your strength come from? Where, you guys, where does it come from? We don't know where it comes from. Like, it comes from Jesus. He is our great high priest. We have an altar from which those who serve at the tent have no right to eat. We have a spiritual altar. We have an available savior. Now from here, he draws us now to action. What do we do with this? Once he corrects the doctrine, once he gets their eyes and stomach off other things, he moves them to Jesus. He moves us to action. Look at verse 12 and 13. It says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, here's the action. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Here's the action. Once the writer corrects their bad doctrine with good doctrine, he then allows this good doctrine to weigh heavy on their lives. He allows it to sit there and go, what are you going to do about it now? What are you going to do about this teaching, this doctrine of Jesus suffering outside the camp? And look what he's telling them. He's telling these Hebrew Christians to evacuate. He says, leave. He's saying, leave, pack up, and get out of where you've been living for hundreds of years. Inside the gates and inside the camp of Judaism. That is gnarly. He's like, Jesus was outside the camp. You go outside the camp yourselves. I don't know how many of you this week were told to evacuate. Some were given hours. Some were given minutes. During last, the last fire that we had, someone from my home group was given just a short amount of time to pack up their whole lives before their house burnt to the ground. We went to go and like do sandbags for them afterwards and go pray with them and visit the house. And it was literally burnt 
to the ground. And how do you choose what stays and what goes? How do you leave your house and be okay with losing everything? How do you as a Jewish Christian leave a camp where your identity, your nationality, your family, your security have been inside this camp where everything is safe and everything is sacred for hundreds of years. How do you do that? How do you leave America or leave the coastlands and go and serve Jesus if he's calling you to go somewhere else? How do you do that? The only way to move from Christ to comfort is to follow Jesus. That's the only way. How do you do it? Follow Jesus. Now, you have to understand, Jesus is our example. He's such a good example. Our example, Jesus Christ, left behind the joys and the comfort of heaven. Jesus Christ left the joys and comfort of heaven. He humbled himself and became a man. Jesus humbled himself and became a man. He left his eternal home and he was made homeless. Jesus Christ. You guys remember when that scribe came to Jesus and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I got your back. I'm going to follow you, dude. And what did Jesus say? He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but I, the son of man, have nowhere to lay his head. He went from eternal home and fellowship with the father to becoming virtually homeless on this world. We have a great example of how we can leave behind and endure what he endured in Jesus Christ. We have a beautiful example there. He was rejected by the very people who came to save. He was murdered outside the gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city of peace. The irony is implied there. He's rejected outside the city of peace, crucified outside the city of peace, being virtually rejected by everyone and cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is our example and we are to follow him as his disciples. How do we evacuate everything under threat of fire? Or how do we leave our coping mechanisms when they're not benefiting us? How can we do that? How can we leave things that seem to be so central to our identity and our nationality, our security, even our family, if God would call us. How? The author says, look at Jesus. Follow Jesus. And where is Jesus? Notice he's outside the camp. Notice the availability of Jesus. You didn't have to go inside the gates of of the city walls to the courts, to the outer courts, to the inner courts, to the, the, the holies, to the holy of holies. You didn't have to do that. He made himself available by coming outside the camp, making himself available to the whole world. We don't have a physical altar. We don't worship on this mountain or that mountain. We have an available Savior, always there, totally sufficient, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Never leaving, never, never forsaking. So we have to go to him, but we have to leave the camp to do it. I want you to notice something. Everybody tune in. Whenever God calls almost anyone in scripture to follow him, you ever notice how he always calls him to leave something? Always, right? It's like, follow me. In order to follow me, you're going to have to leave something. The Bible, in the Bible, we see people leaving occupations, locations, situations to follow God. We see him leaving everything. 
Matthew left the tax booth. Peter left his nets. Paul had to leave killing Christians. I mean, they, they, they had to leave everything. A lot of them left everything. Their whole identity, they would have to leave something to follow God. And sometimes their leaving to follow God was shameful. It was bearing the reproach of Jesus Christ. When we pursue Christ, we are told what it looks like. It looks like this. Go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Here's the point. Pursue Christ, not comfort. Pursue Christ, not comfort. That's the point here. Bear his reproach. Pursue Jesus, not comfort. Not where you're comfortable, not your comfort camps. Pursue Jesus. We have a great example here, a couple verses later, using the same word reproach. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. We see it in the life of Moses. Remember him? Again, connecting, leaving to follow. Verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, same word, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt. Here we see the same thing. Moses leaving Egypt, leaving the comforts and the passing pleasures and the sin of Egypt, leaving all his prestige and power, leaving that to, and it says here, identifies it with bearing with the reproach of Christ, bearing the reproach of Christ and following Jesus. Now, again, I know it's hard to leave your home. I know what that's like. I've left a hometown, and a lot, like probably a lot of you guys, where when Christ calls you to do something, that you have to leave something to follow Jesus. I know what that's like. I know it's hard to leave your comfort. We love comfort, right? Can we all agree that we love comfort? Probably a little too much. Now, I, I'm the first to admit, I love comfort. I love comfortable chairs, comfortable shoes, comfortable meals. I love, when it was like 130 last week, I was in my little apartment with every fan on, and I was going, I remember when we lived in the valley, they had this thing called air conditioning. Have you ever heard of this stuff? It's amazing. And I wanted so bad just to go and click on air conditioning. And then in when I'm from the valley, they had these things where there was ice and water that comes out of the front of the refrigerator to make iced water on the spot. I was longing for those days when I had a refrigerator like that. Now I have, have like an ice chest, you know, a small little refrigerator. But I, was long, I remember sitting there going, it's hot. I want air conditioning. And I got a little irritated. If you get, ever get hot and a little irritated, I want air conditioning. I want ice water to come out of the fridge. Just right out of the fridge, filtered ice cold water. And I want to drink it and I want to be comfortable and I want to sit on a comfortable couch with a comfortable fan with my comfortable life. I love comfort. We all maybe love comfort a little too much. If we think about it, a lot of the decisions that you make in life have to do with comfort. Where I live, where I go shopping, who I hang out with, are they awkward or are they comfortable? That guy's a little too awkward. I don't go to home group. It's a little too awkward, not comfortable for me. I go to certain places because they're more comfortable for me. We, we go to the ER. 
and our hand could be cut off. And they're like, are you comfortable? <laughs> right? Don't they ask that doctor? I mean, are you, are you okay? Are you comfortable? I'm like, and you're like, no, give me everything you got. Kill the pain. I'm not comfortable yet. Make me comfortable. Right? We, we actually use this as a license to like dictate our life. Like, I don't go there because it's just uncomfortable. I don't, that, what you're telling me is making me uncomfortable. <laughs> so, could you stop talking to me about that? <laughs> Accountability, as long as it's comfortable, it's cool. We do that all the time. God might be calling you to go somewhere or do something. And you're like, well, no, he's probably not calling me to do that. Well, sometimes we go on missions trips. And we come back. And what almost everyone says for mission trips is, I really appreciate what I have here. The questions that we should be asking is, why do I have what I have here? Am I willing to pursue Christ and not comfort? This is what the author was telling these Christians. Could you please pursue Jesus and not your comfort? Where are you comfortable? Well, we're comfortable inside of Judaism. We're comfortable with all these sacrifices and these rituals that we used to do. We just kind of want to add Jesus to our lives. We want to be okay. We don't want to be persecuted. We understand that. We all can attest to that. We all know that. But the writer here is like, could you pursue Christ and not comfort? Pursue Jesus, him alone? Can we all choose to be a little less selfish together and go for the cause of Christ? I'll pursue him and him alone. Now, I know it's hard to leave certain coping mechanisms and ways you deal with life, but the question that, is, that this text is putting in front of us is this. To some of you, is, of us, it's can we evacuate, if it's mandatory, pick up and leave if we have to? Can we? Some of you guys were tested with that this week. Yeah, yeah we can. Others in this room, God might be asking you for more of a, a voluntary evacuation where you voluntarily leave an occupation, a location, some situation to follow Jesus if he's calling you to do that. You've been wrestling with this. I don't want to leave this situation. If I leave this relationship, it's not going to be pretty if I end this thing. I'll be lonely. It'll be hard. I know, I know God's not wanting me to do this thing, but it just really, it's going to be too hard to let go of it. And it's funny that we can find comfort in our bitterness. I don't know why we do. Bitter is not a, I mean, do you like bitter food? I don't like bitter things. Bitter coffee, bitter espresso. No, I want smooth. But we, we somehow love to live in our own bitterness. Like, I'm bitter, and that's how I'm, I'm being comforted. i just wanting that person to pay and not forgiving them. Oh, I just feel so good when I do that. That's so weird. It is so distorted and ill. Would you leave that place this morning and go, I'm going to pursue Christ. I'm going to leave this place of bitterness. I'm going to forgive and recon, reconcile, even though I, I probably know I'm right, but who cares? Yeah. Jesus was right, and he left the, left the throne room of heaven, came down. He was right. Can I be like Jesus? Some of you guys, it would be to leave your unnecessary love for this world. You love this world a little too much. And I know, I know when I say that, everyone's convicted. I'm convicted when I say that. I'm not trying to do that because, hey, I wanted to say something convicting, but all of us can just leave certain things in our life going, okay, I love this world a little too much. Jesus, I want to I be used by you and go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do and say what you want me to say. Will you leave the security of a city and leave and go to where God is calling you? Would you do that if God's calling you to do that? If God says, I want you to uproot and I want you to move for my glory. Could you do that? 
Can we be a people that draw our spiritual strength from Jesus alone? Not from this building or even our homes or any comfort thing that we have, but from our confession of hope, Jesus Christ. I know it's hard, but how do we do it? What's our motivation? As we close, here's our motivation. Verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We said a couple of weeks ago that the Bible starts in a garden and ends in a city, right? Now in this city, the ki- this kingdom that we seek is a lasting kingdom. It's an unshakable kingdom. We can place our trust here, lie, lay our hope to rest here, rejoice that this kingdom will never foreclose, will never burn down, will never leave, will never die, will never rebel, never fall apart, never bankrupt. We can place our hope in this city. So the exhortation is, let's go. Let's go with Jesus outside the camp. Let's bear his reproach. We can leave places of comfort because comfort is not the goal in this life. We seek a lasting kingdom, a lasting city. Jesus is the goal in this life. So what does that mean for this city? In Santa Barbara or Ventura or Carp or wherever you live? Here's a quote. I think this sums it up. Jesus went up to the city, Jerusalem, and was crucified outside the gate, a biblical metaphor for forsakenness. Jesus lost the city that was, so we can be citizens of a city to come, making us salt and light that the city of the city that is. Our citizenship in the city to come, by his grace, equips us for the city that is. Because we are living for that city, we can live in this city for the glory of God. Whether it's a call to live in Ventura or to get up and move to the gnarliest place in Oxnard, we can do it for the glory of God, right? Like, yeah, I'm going to move right in that neighborhood and, and then love the people in there for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm not seeking my own safety and security. I'm following Jesus. I got one shot at this, one life, and I want to be spent for the glory of God. Would you do that? Would you even consider going, Lord, where I shop, where I go, where, where I build relationships, would you stretch me a little bit? And maybe you're calling me to, to go somewhere that's uncomfortable. Who cares? I'm pursuing Christ, not comfort. This means that whether we are to leave because God's saying, get up and go, or we just have to go, that we can and we will. We can follow Jesus. We can leave the camp and bear his reproach. Now, the Bible is real honest, though. I love how the a Bible pulls no punches. It tells us exactly how this will be. Okay, what does it look like? I, I want to do that. I want to follow Christ. I want to bear his reproach. Okay, that's, that means shame and pain. Can everybody agree on that? The Bible is really clear on that. You follow Jesus. It's a road of Calvary. At the end of that road is death, okay? I want you to know that. There will be a certain death that you and I will die when we follow Jesus. It might be one of shame. It's definitely one of difficulty, It pulls no punches on this matter. It's brutally honest. But the more this world tries to crush us, the scriptures teach, that's when more of of Christ comes out in the world through us. 2 Corinthians says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. This treasure in jars of clay, our bodies, just jars of clay. How many of you guys know, like, yeah, my body's getting a little bit more fragile in these, these days. We have this incredible power, this treasure in just a jar of clay. 
to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus. Memory verse on the fridge, write that down. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self, remember, inner man, is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So let's go to Jesus outside the camp and bear his reproach. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city to come. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We want to seek that kingdom, Lord. We want to be kingdom-minded. We want to be people, as your word says, we learned last week, people that love each other, that we show hospitality, that we remember those in prison, that, Lord, we, we honor our marriage no matter how difficult it is, that we keep ourselves pure in this world and free from the love of money. We want to be content Because you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, we trust you. We gain our strength from you. Not from anything, not from anyone else. If we are trying to cope and be spiritually strong and keep going through some weird thing, would you today deal with that? And we want to repent before you. And turn to Jesus and live. Turn from our our idols to the living God. We want to turn today. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to pursue Christ and not comfort. We need help. We'll we'll just be honest. We're Americans. This is kind of how we grew up. We love comfort. But Lord, we're, we're willing to be changed for you. We want to be biblical Christians, God. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name. Prayer teams on my left, your right. We would love to pray for you and help you guys if you have any need. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of